I felt like I was just along for the ride, and these two are just awesome. I'm su- such a blessing to have them here this morning. Well, if you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing in our summer going through the book of Ephesians, which I don't know about you, but has been such a blessing to my heart. What a wonderful letter that the Lord has given us through the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 4, my assignment this morning was Ephesians 4 verse 30 all the way into chapter 5, Ephesians 5 verse 2. And as I was studying this text, there was one verse in particular that just really jumped out of the Bible and smacked me upside the head and grabbed me by the heart. And so I'm pulling a little bit of an audible. I'm going to preach one verse this morning. I'm going to preach Ephesians 4, verse 32, because I thought this verse is just so powerful and it's so important that I just want to be able to spend an entire sermon meditating on one verse, okay? So Ephesians 4, verse 32 is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And this verse is about forgiveness. And I think that's important because so many times in my life, and as I look at the world around us, I think that we need to talk about forgiveness perhaps now more than ever. I think I've seen more and more unforgiveness just tearing apart our society. I've seen unforgiveness and grudges tear apart families. And I've seen unforgiveness tear, about, tear apart people made in the image of God. And let me give you a couple of examples. I think that unforgiveness is an absolute plague or epidemic, you know, no pun intended, on our society right now. Man, we, we have this culture of people where we look back in the past. You know, we dig up your old tweets, your old Facebook posts, whatever it is that you said when you were 15, because, you know, we were all geniuses when we were 15. We, we pull up those things and we say, you're bad. You're canceled. You cannot be forgiven. There is no atonement. No matter how much you apologize, we will not forgive you for what you said 10 years ago. It's this plague in our society. But what about in the church? If that's the world, we shouldn't expect much better. Those are people that don't know Christ. What about in the church? Man, how many churches have we seen split apart because of grudges, because of a lack of forgiveness, a lack of willingness to let things go? What about families? Man, perhaps there are some of you this morning who are in a family where there are people that haven't spoken in years because of some sort of grudge, because of some sort of lack of forgiveness. I've seen it in in so many families. And what does that do to us when we refuse to forgive someone that has hurt us? I can tell you from my own experience, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a a grudge that I held on to for years against a friend who hurt me, and it absolutely tore me apart. My mind was consumed by it. My heart was consumed by it. It got to where it was all that I thought about, all that I could talk about, until I finally released it and I forgave this person, it was like this prison that I had locked myself in. So I think now more than ever, as the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to talk about what it means to forgive and how we can walk in forgiveness. But the truth is that forgiveness is hard. That's why this is a problem. That's why we even have to talk about it, because this is really hard for us. All of us live in this broken world And every single person in this room both needs forgiveness from time to time for something wrong that we've done, and we need to forgive other people because we have been sinned against. And one of the reasons that forgiveness is hard is because we want justice. When I sin against someone else, I want grace. I want the benefit of the doubt. But when someone sins against me, I want justice. I want them to get what they deserve. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we've got to ask ourselves this question. What if we got what we deserved from God? What if God gave us justice instead of grace? So as believers in Jesus, we've got to learn how to forgive 
as we have been forgiven. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Forgiven People Forgive. Forgiven people forgive. I'm convinced that one of the clearest signs that you have really been gripped by the gospel of Jesus is if you are ready and willing to forgive others when they have sinned against you. So this morning, I want to talk about what it means for us to forgive one another. If you got your Bibles, Ephesians 4, 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we admit this morning that forgiveness is really hard. Lord, all of us in this room have been sinned against in in terrible ways. We've been hurt by other people. And Lord, all of us in this room have hurt others. We've all sinned against others. And Lord, we know that until we learn to forgive one another, there will never be true peace and harmony in our relationships, in our churches, in our families, and in our world. So Lord, would you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, from this verse, how we can learn to forgive others as we have been forgiven so greatly by you. Lord, would you open up your word to us and teach it to us in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna start this morning by preaching the verse backwards. I wanna start with the last part of the verse because I think until you get the last clause in this verse, you're never gonna be able to do what the first part of the verse tells you to do. This is the basis of forgiveness. The basis of forgiveness is as God in Christ forgave you. This verse makes it clear to us that our forgiveness of other people when they have sinned against us, when they have hurt us, finds its basis in the forgiveness that we receive from God. I believe that you will never be able to forgive others as God intends until you have received the forgiveness that comes from God. And so we have to ask ourselves, what have we done, or rather, what has God done so that we could be forgiven? The reality is that God forgives us in Christ. It is in Christ that God forgives us. And this is just the gospel. The gospel is just the good news that there is a holy and a righteous God who loved us so much that he sent his son into this world, even though every single one of us had sinned against God. And we deserve nothing but God, but judgment. But God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus into the world, who was truly God and who was truly man. He lived a perfect life. If anyone would have gotten justice, it should have been Jesus. He was perfect. If there was anyone on the face of the earth who ever deserved to go to heaven for their good works, it was Jesus. He was completely perfect. And yet... Jesus was nailed to a cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What you deserve for sin is death. But yet Jesus died on the cross. He did that because he wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for ours. He was dying for the sins of everyone who would eventually trust in him. So Jesus died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved, and he rose from the dead victorious three days later, proving that his death on the cross really was sufficient to pay for our sins. And when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus Christ, God forgives us completely and totally forgives us. All of our sins from the past, the things you did, uh, whatever, however long ago, everything you've done in your past, everything that you are doing right now, everything you will do before you leave the service, everything you will do today, your present sins, and everything you will do for the rest of your life, Jesus completely and totally paid it all like we just sang about. He has paid our debt and it raises us from the dead. This is this beautiful free forgiveness that we receive through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
completely and totally free. If you're a believer here today, I just want to encourage you, you have to remember the gospel. It's the only way you, have, you will ever be able to forgive others. I wanted to start my sermon with the gospel because that is the basis of forgiveness. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're checking things out. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you're just kind of thinking about these things. Let me encourage you that the only way to be forgiven by God for your sins is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. If you'd like to talk more about that, you can grab me or one of these other leaders here. We'd love to talk to you more about that after the service. But that is, is what God has done so that we could be forgiven. But now we've got to ask the question, what does God's forgiveness look like? And it looks like this. God remembers our sins no more. You know, there's this beautiful promise in the Old Testament. God made a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai. It's called the Old Covenant in the Bible. But the people broke it again and again and again and again. The whole story of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is just the story of these people that cannot get their act together. God made this covenant with them and they keep breaking it. But towards the end of this story, a prophet named Jeremiah made this great promise to God's people that one day he was going to make a new covenant with them. Not like the old covenant, but this is what he said about this new covenant. Jeremiah 31, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's what God's forgiveness of us looks like when we turn to Jesus. He remembers our sins no more. What a beautiful thing. There's a lot of us who just can't stop remembering sins from the past. God remembers them no more. Now listen, I know some of you theologians in the room are already thinking, well, wait a minute, Nate. Isn't God omniscient? Doesn't, that means, doesn't God know everything eternally, perfectly? How can he forget something? Now, yes, I don't think this literally means God no longer has access to the information. I think it simply means this. God chooses in his relationship with you when you are in Christ not to call those sins to mind any longer. God no longer holds those sins against you. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you as you are in your sin. He sees you clothed and the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So think about this. The next time you say to yourself, man, I just can't forgive myself for something that I did in my past. Or maybe I just can't forgive my spouse. I just can't forgive my brother. I just can't forgive that, that old church that I used to go to. Why are we trying so hard to remember sins that the omniscient mind has forgotten? If God has let those things go, if God remembers our sins no more, then we must try to put them out of our minds and choose not to hold them against others anymore. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're still talking about God's forgiveness here. So there's one more thing about the basis of our forgiveness, and it's this. We remember our debt before God. It's what we just finished singing about, this debt that we owed that we could never repay, that Jesus has paid in full. A lot of you guys probably know the parable from Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18 is this great chapter. You get this story where Jesus is teaching the, his disciples on church discipline, what it looks like in the church when someone sins against you. You know, first go to them, then bring two or three, and then bring them before the church. So after that, Peter, ever the show-off, goes, well, Jesus, how often do I need to forgive my brother? As many as seven times? And in his mind, he's like, wow, look how holy I must look to all these other disciples. I'm gonna forgive him seven times, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Not seven, 
but 70 times seven. I'm not good at math, but I looked it up. That's 490. And I don't even think that's literal because listen, y'all, my wife has forgiven me way more than 490 times by now. But listen, after that, Jesus launches into this beautiful parable that a lot of you guys know. It's about a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he brought a servant before him that owed him 10,000 talents. To put that in modern money, it's a lot probably like billions of dollars. I once heard Pastor Andrew Oates say that there wasn't even that much silver in the whole city of Jerusalem at the time, just an exorbitant amount of money. And he says, be patient with me. I will pay you everything. No, you're not. You can't get that kind of money. That kind of money didn't even exist in the town you lived in. But the king graciously and freely wiped away the entire debt that this man owed him. Incredible free grace and forgiveness of his debt. So how does this man respond to the forgiveness that he's received? You know the story. He goes down the street and he sees his fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. And now, just to be clear, a denarii was about a day's wage. So this is probably like three and a half months worth of pay. You know, if you made $50,000 a year, that's like 15, 20 grand. So it's not insignificant. A lot of times preachers will preach that parable and they go like, and he only owed him 20 bucks. Well, it was more than 20 bucks. It, it was not insignificant. My point in bringing that up is we are really going to be hurt by other people. It's not just 20 bucks. Sometimes it's 20 grand. But nevertheless, the point of the story is that what that man owed to the servant was absolutely nothing compared to what the servant owed to the king. And what did the servant do to his fellow servant? He had him thrown in jail until he could repay him his debt. Church, we owed a debt to God that far exceeds any debt that could ever be owed to us. And now that doesn't mean that we haven't been hurt in serious and in profound ways by other people. All of us have been wounded by others. But this parable teaches us that in comparison to our sin against an infinitely holy God, it could never compare. Because the reality is that sin is as guilty as it is in proportion to the person sinned against. Let me explain. If I sin against my dog, Rocky, he's a good boy. That's a mean thing to do. I should not sin against Rocky. But if I'm walking down the street and I sin against a stranger, that's more serious. That's a person made in the image of God. I know some of us like to act like our dogs are people that, sorry, they're not. If I sin against a human being, that's more serious. But what if I were to sin against one of you? one of our church members here at Coastal. That's even more serious than me sinning against a stranger because I'm one of your pastors and God has called me to love you and to shepherd you and to help you grow in your faith. But what if I sin against my wife? That's even more serious than if I sinned against one of you because I have a responsibility from God to love her as Christ loved the church. Now let's take it up to the ultimate level. What about when we sin against an infinitely holy God? We are made in God's image. That means the whole point of our existing is to bring glory to God. So a sin against an infinitely holy God can only be satisfied by infinite punishment and is an infinite debt. And that is the debt that our God has wiped away completely. That is the punishment that Jesus took on the cross down to the last drop. And the only way we're going to be able to forgive other people is if we keep that before us and we remind ourselves of that. So that is the basis of our forgiveness the gospel of Jesus Christ. But next, I want to talk to you about the heart of forgiveness. 
if we're going to be able to forgive other people, we have to remember the gospel, but, but what does our heart posture need to be like if we're ever going to be able to forgive others? That's the first part of our verse today, the be kind and tender-hearted part. We have to be kind and we have to be tender-hearted. Being a forgiving person starts with having this general disposition towards other people. And it's incompatible with a heart that's consumed by anger, that's consumed by jealousy, that's consumed by bitterness. I've heard it said that bitterness is a poison that you drink thinking that it's going to kill somebody else. You know, when we're bitter, we're just sitting here stewing in anger about other people and what they've done to us, thinking that we're getting back at them. They're just living their life. You're just making yourself miserable. But this kind and tender heart is incompatible with those things. And I want to pick on somebody that I know a lot of you guys know, the person who exemplifies this better than anyone I've ever seen. It's my Nana. A lot of you guys know my grandma. She, she's come to Coastal Gloucester faithfully since we opened. And unfortunately, she's not been able to be here since COVID-19. But she is the most kind and tender-hearted person I have ever met. You know, I was growing up, we used to do yard sales at her house when I was a kid. And you know, the fun of yard sales, more than selling the stuff, is the haggling getting to haggle with people over the price. It's a lot of fun. Half the time, my Nana would just end up giving stuff away to people. Like they would come, they'd give her a sob story. She'd end up crying with them and then just giving it away. And we'd be like, Nana, we have to make some money off of this. But she had just the most sweet, kind, tender-hearted disposition toward other people. And if we're gonna be forgiving, we've got to let those negative emotions go. We've gotta let the anger go. We've gotta let the bitterness go. And here's one of the ways that we can do that. We need to be humble. We have to have a heart posture of humility toward other people. We've got to remember that parable. We're not the king. We're one of the servants. When other people sin against us, they sin against us as a fellow servant. I'm not their king. We need to have this heart posture of humility. When we recognize the truth that all of us are sinners, we realize how silly it is for us to withhold forgiveness from other people. I think Jesus gives us this great perspective on how we should view our sin in relationship to other sins in Matthew chapter seven, this famous passage. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? I mean, think about it. What's a speck? It's like, you can barely even see it. It's like a grain of sand. You'd have to squint, maybe even get a magnifying glass just to be able to see it. Okay, what's a log? You're, like, you're walking through the woods, you see a tree that's fallen over, just a big old log. If, it, if you have a log in your eye, you're probably going to fall over and get crushed by it. That's the perspective we ought to have on our sin compared to other people's sins. What we often do, though, is we flip that. We say, my sin is a speck. My sin is really not that big a deal. I meant well. I had good intentions. Your sin, however, is a log. It's completely blinded you where you can't even see. It's about to fall over and crush you. When we have that perspective on our sin in relationship to other people's sins, it becomes extremely difficult to forgive because there's something that creeps in called self-righteousness. It's what Jesus was constantly blasting the Pharisees for. Self-righteousness, by definition, is when I think that your sin is a bigger deal than my sin. Here's a, a test of self-righteousness that I like to use with us church people. And by the way, I'm not piling on you. I've been guilty of this a hundred times myself, okay? But just a little thought experiment. How many of us, when we're sitting in a sermon, ever think something like this? Man, I really wish such and such were here to hear this. Man, they really need to hear this sermon. That's self-righteousness. 
When, think about it. If God wanted such and such to be here to hear this sermon, they'd be here. But God wanted us to hear this sermon, so we're here. That's this heart posture of humility that we ought to have where we realize that my sin is the biggest problem in my life, not other people's sins. You know, there's a story about an author named G.K. Chesterton. He, was, uh, he lived in London at the turn of the last century, and he one day opened up the newspaper, and there's a giant headline on top that said, what's wrong with the world? So he wrote a letter to the newspaper and said, dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I love this story because it illustrates the fact that, man, in my life, my sin is my biggest problem, not the sins of other people. And once we're willing to accept that, we'll be much more willing to forgive other people as we have been forgiven by God. And finally, we need to be gracious toward other people. The Greek word that's translated as forgiving comes from the same root for the word for grace. So we could literally translate this, we need to extend grace to one another. And we got to have some clear definitions here. What's the difference between justice, mercy, and grace? Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say you're driving to church. Let's say you're, you're coming down Hickory Fork Road right over here, and you're running late, and you're frustrated. You're screaming at the kids. You've spilled coffee on your shirt, whatever it is. You're, you're trying to get to church as fast as you can, and you're frustrated because you don't want to miss the first song because the music is just so awesome. You know, shameless plug. So you're just speeding down. Let's say you're going like 70 miles an hour down Hickory Fork. And for those of you that don't know, it's a 45. So you're going 25 over. And then you see in your rearview mirror, wee-woo, wee-woo, wee-woo. What would justice be in this scenario? You get a ticket. That's justice. You deserve a ticket. You did the crime. You deserve it. What would mercy be in this situation? All right, I'm going to let you off with a warning. I'm not going to give you a ticket. What would grace be? Grace would be, I'm not going to give you a ticket, and here, here's 20 bucks. Grace is not just getting not what you deserve. Grace is getting better than what you deserve. Because that's what we got from God, right? We didn't just get a get-out-of-hell-free card. We didn't just say, all right, you're forgiven, but now you have a clean slate. That was Adam in the garden. We have better than that. We've been given the righteousness of Jesus, completely freely, without any of our works, we are brought to heaven to be with God. We've been given grace better than what we deserve. So to be able to forgive other people, we have to be gracious toward other people. This means in our words, in our actions, in how we talk to each other on Facebook, in our marriages, in our parenting, we have to be quick to be gracious, to extend grace to other people. We should be quick to assume the best, giving people the benefit of the doubt. And maybe there are some situations where someone sinned in some minor way and it wasn't intentional that we don't have to just go blast them. You know, First Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe it's something that we can just let love cover. So if we're gonna forgive others, we have to have a heart that wants to show grace to other people. So if that's the basis of forgiveness and that's the heart of forgiveness, when the rubber hits the road, how do we do it? What are my steps? Tell me what I need to do. That's the process forgiveness. And I want to give a quick caveat here. I'm not going to be able to cover all of the whatabouts in this part of the sermon. This is a, there are no two situations that are identical. There are a lot of variables. And even as I'm preaching this, you might think, well, what about this situation? Or what about this situation? I can't cover all of those in one sermon. I'd be glad to talk to you later about it. But what I have here is general steps, general principles 
that when someone has sinned against you or when you've sinned against someone else, how to pursue forgiveness. And the first step that I put is this, and I think this is important. We've got to pray. We have got to pray. Get your heart right with God before you go to the other person. You know that heart that we just spent 10 minutes talking about, that heart of humility and kindness and graciousness? The only way to get that is by spending time in the presence of God. You've got to go to God and surrender your bitterness, surrender your anger, surrender your frustration to the Lord so that you won't just go and explode it all over them. In other words, vent, but vent to God. A lot of us sometimes feel justified in just venting all of our frustration all over another person when they've hurt us. But this is what the Bible says in Proverbs 29. It says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. We're not justified in just spewing all of our anger all over another person if it's going to hurt that person. But yet, in 1 Peter, what does God say? He says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In other words, don't vent to the person who hurt you. Vent to God. Give all of your anger, all of your frustration to God in prayer and just watch as him, by the power of your Holy Spirit, begins to heal your heart and to cleanse your heart of all of those negative emotions. And next, we stand ready to forgive. We stand ready to forgive. That's a phrase that I've heard Pastor David say a hundred times, and I think it's really a helpful way of putting it. When someone has sinned against us, the Bible teaches that we should just go to them directly. You know, don't talk to other people behind their back. Don't start posting on Facebook, you know, vague posts about how mad you are. Just go directly to them and sit down and have a talk with them. Don't avoid the confrontation out of fear because I promise that bottling up is not healthy. But on the other hand, don't just go to them and blow up like we just talked about. Go with this heart posture of kindness and tenderheartedness. Humbly and honestly explain how they hurt you or Humbly and honestly explain what you feel that you have done and ask for forgiveness. If the person humbly repents and asks for forgiveness, we should extend forgiveness to them. We should be eager and quick to do that and begin to move toward a reconciled and restored relationship. And that's the goal. That's always the goal, a repair in the relationship. But what about when they don't want that? Here's where it gets tricky. What if the person that has sinned against you, you want to forgive them and they don't want to be forgiven? What about when they don't recognize their sin? Well, I don't think it's particularly helpful just to go to them and say, well, I forgive you. I did my part when they are unrepentant. And here's why. Forgiveness requires both a forgiver and a forgiven person. Now, we can do our half of the forgiveness equation and have a heart posture that has released the anger and bitterness and be ready and willing and eager to forgive them when they repent of their sin. You can be a forgiver, in other words, even if they refuse to be forgiven. And why is that? It's because our forgiveness is modeled after God's forgiveness. And when does God forgive us? When we repent, when we trust in Jesus. I like, John Piper has a quote here that, explains it better than I can. I should have just read what he said from the start. He said, the full effect of forgiveness can only happen if the other person believes they need it and wants it. That's why it's so frustrating when, they want, when you want to forgive somebody and they don't think they need any forgiveness. But we don't wait for that, right? We don't wait for them to do their half before we do our half. We must be rid of the bitterness and grudges right away. So we do what Jesus did on the cross. Remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So 
So we stand ready and eager to forgive. Next, we don't keep score. That's really important. We don't keep score. When we have forgiven someone, just as God remembers our sins no more, we must seek to remember their sins no more. I'm going to steal a story from Pastor Sean because he he preached on forgiveness one time. I thought this story was so good, I just had to steal it. So I got to give him credit. One time, Pastor Sean was doing some marriage counseling for a couple who was really struggling. Their marriage was on the rocks. They came in, and the whole first session, there was one spouse in the marriage who was just sitting there and makes a long list. Just this is what he did then, and then, then, and then, then. It's just this long laundry list of every sin for their whole marriage, while the man just sits there staring at the floor, dejected, broken, humble, repentant. I'm sorry, I want to change. And it was just the list. And that went on for an hour. And Pastor Sean said, all right, let's schedule another session. So he, he came back this next session ready to kind of give them some advice and start to work through some of this stuff. He said it was the exact same thing, and it was the exact same list. Just, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, giving the list. And so what Pastor Sean did, and I, I love this, he pulled the calendar right off of his wall. He put it down on the desk. He grabbed a pen and said, all right, look at the calendar. I want you to circle the day that you're going to forgive him, and then we'll have our next counseling session. Because until you do that, I can't help you. And now Pastor Sean's punchline to that story is usually, and that's why you go to Pastor Joey for counseling. (laughs) But personally, I think that's brilliant because it's true. It's true. You cannot have a reconciled and restored relationship while you're scorekeeping. When you are constantly bringing before another person, holding up in front of them their sins, it's not going to work. 1 Corinthians 13 said love doesn't do that. It says love keeps no record of wrongs. And I can tell you this is especially true in marriage, like the story tells you. There are not many things that will wreck your marriage faster than constantly bringing up everything your spouse has done, every argument. We cannot keep score. We have to let those things go. Finally, we work toward reconciliation. That's the ultimate goal. Reconciliation just means a restored relationship. So after we have gotten our heart right with God, after we have extended forgiveness, after we refuse to keep score, we move forward and try to repair and restore the relationship. I, I got to say just again, of course, there are going to be situations where that's not possible. What if it's someone who sinned against you and has now passed away? What if there's abuse involved and it would not be safe for a person to be back in some sort of relationship. I get it. There are a million different situations. That requires wisdom. But generally speaking, the goal of forgiveness is a restored relationship, getting the relationship back to a place of health as it was before the offense. And why is that? Because that's what God does with us. He doesn't just say, I forgive you, now you stay over there. He says, I forgive you, now come and be a part of my family. I'm adopting you. You're my son. You're my daughter now. That's what God does to us. We're not just forgiven. We're brought in to the family. That's what we should seek to do with others. And I only have a couple minutes left, so I got to move quickly here. What is the end result of forgiveness? Why should we bother with any of this? Because honestly, there are probably some situations in all of our lives where it would just be easier to just let it go, to just say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with that. It's easier for me just to give them the cold shoulder. It's easier for me just to ignore it. But why should we bother with any of this? What are the results of forgiveness? Well, the first is this. It is peace with God. Forgiveness gives us peace with God. Clinging to anger and resentment and bitterness in your heart 
puts this massive roadblock in your relationship with God. I don't have time to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, but I think this really illustrates the point well. Jesus is saying, look, if your brother has sinned against you and you're at church worshiping, if you've got a gift on the altar, leave it and go. Go be reconciled to your brother before you even come back and continue to worship. In other words, if you have a situation, a broken relationship, don't even wait for church to be over. Just deal with it. It's that important. Jesus is saying that our relationships with other people, reconciling those relationships, are more important than even our most serious religious tasks. So having forgiveness in our hearts toward others clears that roadblock in our relationship with God and allows us to continue to have fellowship with him. And next, forgiveness results in stronger families. Strong families. I know there are probably people here today. I can say there's, there's a lot of issues in my family too. There's people talk about like, I have a dysfunctional family. There haven't been any functional ones like since the fall. All of our families have issues and a lot of it has to do with holding grudges against each other. But I wanna tell you that there is hope for your family. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your relationship with your kids, with your siblings, with your aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever else. There is hope for restoration in families because we have a story in the Bible of the craziest family ever getting restored and God used it to save the world. You guys remember the story of Joseph? Last year, we, we finished preaching through the book of Genesis last spring and we talked about Joseph. Joseph was the favorite of his father. And what did his brothers do because they were so jealous of Joseph? Well, they beat him within an inch of his life, tossed him in a pit, and then sold him into slavery. While he was in slavery, he was falsely accused and then thrown in jail where he stayed for several years. And by the mercy and providence of God, God exalts Joseph to second in command in all of the land. Joseph became the VP. And then decades later, his brothers... Remember his brothers, the ones who were responsible for beating him within an inch of his life and selling him into slavery, ripping him away from his home, not thinking he'd ever see his father again? You know, Joseph's a 17-year-old boy. What do you think he thought he was going to do with his life? Maybe he had plans. Maybe he had hopes and dreams. All of that ripped away by these men. What did Joseph do when he finally saw his brothers again? Well, what, what would you and I have done? <laughs> At our very most merciful, we would have just sent him home with nothing probably would have had him executed because he had the power to do that. But what does Joseph do? He says, after a couple of chapters of fun, you know, until they finally found out who he was, Joseph said, it is I, Joseph, your brother, but do not be angry with yourselves because even though you sold me here, God sent me here to save you. Isn't that amazing? You can't think of many more awful things you could do to a person than what Joseph's brothers did to him. And yet he said, don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here, but God sent me here to save you. And by the way, what did God do with that family? That family became a great nation because of that forgiveness. If Joseph had sent them packing, Jacob and all of his sons, including Judah, would have all died out in the desert. Because of that forgiveness, they are brought into this place where they become this great nation. And after two millennia, what happens to this nation? Well, there's this man that comes who, like Joseph, was also hated by his brothers, who, like Joseph, was also betrayed by his brothers and hated by his brothers. But instead of beating him and throwing him in a pit, they nailed him to a cross. And after he rose from the dead, it's as if he had said to all of us, I am Jesus, your brother whom you crucified. Yet do not be angry with yourselves, for even though you nailed me to this cross, 
God sent me here to save you. Because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done for us, there is hope for your family. God used a restored family relationship that was probably more dysfunctional than yours to eventually save the world. So there's hope for your family. Next, forgiveness results in a unified church. We gotta remember that this whole verse is in the context of a local church. Remember, it was not written to an individual. It was written to this local church in Ephesus. So when we do not forgive one another in the church, we grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what Ephesians 4 verse 30 says. And listen, I can tell you about, about Coastal and about any church in the world. I can make you one promise. I held up two fingers. I can hold you, tell you one promise if you're here at Coastal long enough. And it's this, eventually you're gonna get your feelings hurt. Eventually, you're not going to like something that me or Pastor David says. Eventually, you're not going to like the way something is done in your ministry, and you're going to get offended. You're going to get your toes stepped on. But listen, we will never be the unified church that Jesus calls us to be until we are quick to forgive one another in the church. We've got to be gracious toward each other in the church, in our small groups, in our ministries. When we see one another in between services, we have to be gracious and quick to forgive when we're offended by others. That's the only way for us to have true unity in the church. And finally, forgiveness results in a more effective witness to the world. When the church are a people marked by forgiveness, it is a testimony to the world of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our culture right now, can you think of a more effective way to show how the gospel is powerful and impactful in the midst of cancel culture than if we were a people who are quick to forgive each other? What a testimony that would be that the gospel is not just words, but it is power. It is power that we can forgive even the deepest wounds of the past toward other people. So let me wrap up this morning. I think there are some of us here who someone has sinned against us that we need to go and extend it to. Maybe we've been withholding it for weeks, months, even years. We've locked our own hearts in this prison of bitterness, and we've got to let it go. We've got to set ourselves free this morning. Remind yourself of the gospel and extend forgiveness to that person. Maybe there's someone here, and you've been reminded, even as we're talking about this, of something that you have done against someone else, a way that you've hurt someone else. Maybe we need to go and ask for forgiveness this morning against someone that we've wronged. But even if neither of those is the case, every single one of us needs to be kind and tender-hearted, quick and eager to forgive anything that is done against us because of what God has done for us in Christ. And let me close with this question. Wouldn't it be freeing? Wouldn't it be liberating if we could finally let go of all of that bitterness, of all of that jealousy, of all of that anger that rises up in our souls and takes us captive and instead to walk in grace, to walk in kindness, to be quick and eager to forgive other people when they've sinned against us. I believe that's what God has for us, church. I believe that is what he has for us in his word. So let us be a people that are kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. The worship team is gonna come now and we're gonna close by singing about our gracious redeemer together. So let's pray. Father, we acknowledge this morning that all of us are broken, Lord, that we have sinned against others and we have been sinned against. Lord, we recognize that the last thing we deserve from you is forgiveness, and yet you have freely forgiven us through Jesus Christ. 
So Lord, I pray that your forgiveness would melt our hearts today so that we would be quick to forgive when we are sinned against. Would you give us your strength, Lord? Would you give us your power to be able to forgive one another as you have forgiven us through Jesus Christ? For it's in his precious name we pray.